I mean, once I ended my relationship from the show, it kind of felt like, okay, that pressure is no longer there. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, freedom. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it felt, it was almost kind of like, mentally in my head, I was like, fuck all of that. Fuck every piece of that that made mm -hmm. me feel small and made me feel like I had to be put in this stupid fucking box that like I don't belong in. We are back. We're, I'm in a new state now. <laughs> you are. You're in Ohio. I am. I am. It's going well. It was not, not too tough of a travel and first day. So far, so good. You flew there? <laughs> yeah. Nice. I got a one way. How was flying during these times? Well, it was okay, except there was this woman that was next to me on my first flight. And I swear to God, she was taking like Britney Spears selfies, like had it the camera directly above <laughs> her forehead and like looking up with it so you could see into her eyeballs. And she was annoying the crap out of me. And she was taking all the selfies, like chatting up all her friends. She was probably like in her late 50s. Mm -hmm. And she had like a little lap dog with her. And I'm like, are they even allowed to come out of the bag while you're flying? Like I thought they had to stay in the bag. So she had her lap dog on her lap. And then she had the nerve to take off her mask Ugh. during the flight, which is literally not allowed. Right. And I kept like trying to make eye contact with the flight attendants and being like, hey, like it's hard because I'm not confrontational, but I also, it really pissed me off that she had the nerve to take off her mask and just be like chilling. I don't know. That so, would piss me off too. Yeah. I didn't really know how to handle it. And I just kind of ignored it. And I just rotated my body away from her and just hoped Should have just screamed out, Karen. <laughs> yeah. She was, yeah, I would have been, I would have gone full Karen on her. <laughs> so I want to talk about something that came up for me recently. And I think it's because I've been out of the game so long, like the dating game. Like I took time to like specifically focus on my podcast and focus on myself. And I think I, a part of me knew like I wouldn't be able to do it if I had continued dating because I dating for me is like a process. It's like I have to really work hard to have like a healthy mindset surrounding dating and I didn't want any distractions. So um, to in short, as I get back into the dating game, um, I'm not dating anyone super serious right now. I like just stepped back into it, but as I'm going back into it, I figured I'd reach out to Amanda Blair, who we had on the podcast, who's a relationship coach, correct? Yes. Um, and, and just to like guide me back so that everything I do, I do with like my self-worth intact and with uh, like a strong sense of self and so that I don't get pulled too fast because my natural what I like to do naturally is like jump in. I like to get attached. I like to be with one person. I like to be wanted by that one person, but that's like the low self-worth part of me. The high self-worth part of me is like, wait, let's slow it down. Do you actually like this person? Let's keep exploring other people. Let's make sure it's really what you want. Um, because in the past, so many times before I have jumped in and it's been so bad. You know, it's turned out so bad. Um, it's become codependent or whatever the case may be. And like, I'm grateful for those relationships now because I learned a lot from them. And I think had I not had them, maybe I wouldn't be like, okay, this time we don't want to do that again. <laughs> we don't want to mm -hmm. repeat. So it's like, I'm kind of using my resources, reaching out to Amanda. And I have to say the program that you suggested is amazing. The pathway. Yeah. So, so it's good. Lacey Phillips pathway, right? And have you started, did you start in the relationship section? I didn't. I started, Amanda suggested I start with 
like the manifest and then the inner child and the next relationships just to like I don't know. I guess you have to know some things before going to that. But it's yeah. been super helpful. Like ever since I've done started it, now I'm just like, I feel like I'm back in my self worth. I'm back in my power. Um, it feels good. It doesn't feel good to be in that weak, like, w- like wanting to be wanted state. It's better yeah. to be in your power. It's more fun. It feels better to be in your power. So I highly, highly recommend it to anyone. I think from taking such a long time off now, at least it's not saying that the problems are ever going to be fixed or that they're completely fixed at this point, but it's now you can recognize like those triggers. And when you're not in that place of self-worth yeah. and when you are reacting or you tend to revert back to a certain way that you were before. And that that's why I think she recommends the childhood yes. things, because a lot of this stems from like how we were brought up or things that we created in our own heads and our own minds in order to feel like comfortable and yeah. felt like we were loved. So right. then we tend to repeat those patterns later in life. So For sure. I think a lot of that work has to do with like noticing your patterns, recognizing them and then be yeah. like, this doesn't have to be my normal. I don't have to con- continue on like this, yes. but what in my past is exactly. contributing to like how I'm acting in my present. For sure. And like you said, they never go away, but I, what I think this program does, or maybe eventually they do, but what this program does, it, it makes it easier for you to catch it sooner. So it's not, so you don't get like drawn into this like heavy, heavy thing. And then it's even harder to pull yourself out to get to a normal, happy place again. No, it, it helps you catch the habits like right away so that mm-hmm. you're like, okay, we're not going to do that. Let's reel it in. Um, and it's really helpful. It's, it's, I highly recommend it. And I've only done it for like a day and a half. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, it is a, it's a long process. And then you can like re- refigure things and then you go, you're good for a while. And then like another trigger will happen or like mm-hmm. something else comes up and you're like, oh, that doesn't feel so good. Why is it not feel so good? Why is this happening for me? Why is the same guy coming around? Why is this same like thing, this relationship with my boss? Why is it the same way that it's always been? And what in my past is similar to that, that I'm getting this again as like a lesson or a learning or a way for you to like grow. So I think it's helpful. Yeah. And, and if you do it, you'll like realize all the terminology we're saying and stuff. Yeah. I know I have to like stop myself from talking like that because most people, my, my best friend and I do this work all, I've been doing it for years. So we have like our own little language, but then I have to like talk in layman's terms because I yeah. tend to, but it is, it's like, it's, it's, but it's pretty simple. It's like a learning or a teaching is like, if you do something and it's like not the person you're going to be with or whatever the case may be. Okay. Well, that's a teaching that's learning. Right. Mm-hmm. Or something. Yeah. Um, usually they come in tests, which a test tests. is like a good way to re- identify a test is a fuck boy or mm-hmm. someone that's like impeding on your boundaries that you've set for yourself. Like the things that you're looking for, like if the, if you have open boundaries and you're fine with like sleeping around and not having like a committed relationship, great. That's totally fine. Do that. Totally fine. But if you want something like serious or something a little bit more, a specific type of thing, then you have to recognize like when is it this guy or this thing impeding on my boundaries for sure is an important thing and it's really helpful to learn like your attachment style like a lot of people who um have grown up with like either like an alcoholic parent or some sort of abusive parent or even if your parent just didn't give you the emotional support that you needed we tend to our subconscious tends to like label us as not worthy or a burden or difficult or hard to love or like all these things that isn't in our conscious right it's in our subconscious so we tend to like lean towards people who 
affirm these notions that we have about ourselves. So it's really mm. cool to like catch those things, change the narrative, change the story, start stepping into your power. Um, it's just, it's really, I'm mind blown by it. She told you to read a book about attachment styles, right? Which book yes. was, did she recommend? Yeah, the book is called Attached. Um, and I, I don't really know all the different kinds of attachment styles. I just know anxious attachment because my therapist and I were talking about what anxious attachment is. And I think that's when you latch on to somebody too soon before you actually know if they're what you want. Yeah, I'm excited to read that book, actually. Yeah, I think it's so helpful for all of our yeah, for all of our relationships or any like dynamic that you have. And I also love that we're talking about this because I feel like there's a stigma that surrounds like mental health and like attachment issues. And a lot of women especially are labeled with like daddy issues or, or needy or this, that, and the other. And it's like, it's okay to have needs. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Like, like guys especially have all sorts of things that they should be working through too. It's not just a female thing. Anybody can rework to themselves to be healthier, to think in a healthier way, to uh, move towards people who treat them in a better way. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a never ending journey of self-improvement. That's the way I like to think of. I agree. I agree for sure. I think Um, we're going to get into a lot of these topics today because we are, we have Taylor Nolan on the podcast and she is a therapist and a future sexologist. She has her own podcast and she talks about all things, everything, mental health, sex, empowerment, owning your body, all of these things. And even just like following her on social media, she has a great way of just being authentic, which I think is so hard to do, especially in the like Instagram space and the social media space of like showing up as yourself. Because a lot of times when you go against the norm, people are going to have strong opinions against that or not approve of it. And then she, so she's signing herself up to be to get like trolls and people that are saying things against it. But I think she does a great job of like being in her power on social media. So I want to know how she came to be this way, how she was, is so authentic and hopefully help some listeners to work towards being that. I mean, I need that help as well. Yeah. I love, I love everything she's about, like normalizing sex, normalizing therapy, normalizing, just showing up as yourself and owning who you are with or without makeup, just like, and she's a beautiful girl. I mean, and yeah. I feel like she has a lot to share, a lot of uh, insight to share. So I'm really excited to talk to her today. I am as well. So without further ado, here is Taylor. Before we go, just make sure that you guys all, as always, like, subscribe, review, send this episode to your friends, share it, listen to it, and give us five stars so we can have awesome guests like Taylor on as we move forward. Enjoy. Okay. Cool. Taylor, it's so good to meet you. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I don't know what, what we're going to talk about, but I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we're going to talk about all the things that you like to talk about anyway. So yeah. I think it's pretty, yeah. <laughs> should be pretty standard for you. But before we yeah. like jump into what you're doing now and all that, I know I don't want to make this about being on The Bachelor or whatever, but just yeah. from like watching or like seeing how you are on social media now, you're very authentic and very, not what you would normally see on that TV show. Um, and I love that yeah. you represent yourself and that you are yourself in every aspect that you do as far as it comes across through like social media and your podcast. Yeah. Thank so you. what you're welcome. So what, um, made you want to go on a show that is not necessarily yeah. about authentic love and it, you know, all of those things that the bachelor are. So yeah. What yeah. was your journey in applying for that show? Yeah. So I wasn't um, anticipating, A, that it would actually happen, and B, um, really just did it because I was 
being peer pressured by my drunk stepdad. Um, <laughs> he had gotten home from a Mariners game and was pretty drunk. My mom and I were watching JoJo's premiere. It, this was like May. I had graduated from my master's program in June. Maybe it was June we were watching the episode. I don't know. But um, my stepdad was just like, oh, you'd be so great on this show. Like he would just go on there and like, psychoanalyze these girls and blah, blah. And I was like, mm, no, like I would not be a therapist on the show. Um, and he was just like, you'd be so great. Like, come on, like you've got to put in an application, put in an application. And he just bugged me the whole night to do this. And so I went online, I filled out, it was like a really short, like demographic information, a photo and like why you would want to come on. And so I filled that out and was like, Boom, there you go. Happy, like, okay, leave me alone now. And then literally the next morning I got a call and they wanted me to come into casting and was still just kind of like, yeah, whatever, probably not. Um, hadn't, wasn't really taking it seriously at all because didn't think I'd get picked. There's not many people that look like me in that area. But then at the casting call, the casting director, like, came up to me online and was like, oh, Taylor, like, we're so excited for your interview. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, turned to my girlfriend and I was like, uh, there's a lot of people here. And why did she own my name? And like, yeah. immediately, I was just like, oh, shit, like, this is actually a possibility. And then kind of had to weigh all the pros and cons and felt like, you know, I had started my private practice um, in July that year. Hadn't started seeing clients yet, but was kind of like my whole life. I got my uh, bachelor's in three years, went straight to my master's, was on track to be fully licensed as a therapist by 25, and was just like, yeah, bing, bang, boom. I'm going to just do my life. And then when this kind of became a reality, I was like, well, if I'm ever going to like step outside of my box and just this path that I've just been going straight down, like, now would kind of be that opportunity. And as I thought about it, the show did kind of provide an opportunity for me to really do the work on some of the things that not only I was working with clients on and their lives, but that was coming up for me in my own life around vulnerability mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. control specifically, or like the two big things that I was like, realizing I wasn't being really vulnerable in my life. And that vulnerability was such a hard thing for people to practice. And so, mm -hmm going on the show, I was like reading a lot of Brene Brown and I was like, yeah, I'm going to dare greatly. Like what better way to be vulnerable than to like go <laughs> on national TV. And then, I mean, as you know, Sydney, like so much of your day to day is out of your control. And I very yeah. much was like, I like being in control and was like, okay, well, you know, this would be a good like experiment and experience in figuring out how I can learn to go with the flow more. Wasn't mm -hmm. expecting like, oh, I'm going to meet my husband. I was just kind of like, well, this is a social experiment. I'm really curious to like observe this and see how, you know, all this plays out and what this world is like. Um, but definitely thought, you know, okay, sure. I guess I'll go do this experience and then I'll come back and then I'll go back to doing therapy and just go back on my path. Um, and yeah, it definitely flips your whole world upside down. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Like, I feel like every girl goes on that show or guy and they have like this idea for how it's going to go or their intention for like why they're doing this thing or like why they're uprooting their lives mm -hmm. to go on TV. And I think it almost like fucks you in a way because you yeah. you have no control. And especially if mm -hmm. they know what your intentions are, or know if you have some other idea yeah. of how you want it to go, they usually 
somehow manipulate it, not whether it's intended to or not. So I think that's Mm -hmm. a really interesting point. Your main thing on the show was the emotional intelligence girl. Mm -hmm. And that's like what your box that you were put in. So you were like, you became the therapy girl as you didn't necessarily want to. What was that like then watching it back and being like, oh shit, like I, I'm, this is my role. And how did it turn out like this? Yeah. So even before anything was actually aired, um, like the cast was released and then I think it was like people or maybe us, they had, you know, a few of the girls, like little blurbs on them. And they listed me as Taylor Nolan, the intelligent one. Mm. And I remember reading that and like seeing that and being like, (laughs) (laughs) like, it just made me feel, I mean, I think going on the show, I already had insecurities about like my education to begin with. And I think a lot of women struggle with this, that being confident in your knowledge and your intelligence as a woman can be really threatening to society, to men, where we feel like we have to dumb ourselves down. And Mm -hmm. so much so that I literally rejected the university I got into because I was like, I don't a want people to assume that I'm some freaking genius because I go to Hopkins and B I don't want like to to then be more threatening to other people because I have this name behind me. So like literally rejected the university and was like, I don't belong in a school like that. (laughs) And then like a week before registration, I was like, wait, actually, can I accept this acceptance instead? (laughs) Like my bad, I take it back. Um, and going on the show, you know, was very much like praised for that and was like, this is a fantastic thing. Like you should own this Taylor where I was like, you know, yeah, you're, you should, you should yeah. own it. <laughs> yeah, like I can say, you know, that I'm 22 and have my master's from Hopkins and I'm going to be a therapist and I am a therapist and I can be like confident. I can be proud in that. And like, that was kind of what I had first practiced on the show, but then seeing it kind of represented like that of like the intelligent one Mm -hmm. just made me feel like kind of icky triggered some of that insecurity again because I'm like I'm really smart in some areas but I'm really not intelligent in others like I always tell people I'm like I'm I majored in words not numbers like I'm very not smart when it comes to numbers and even sometimes with words honestly but (laughs) I wasn't on the show as a therapist right I wasn't on the show to be like, I'm the smart person and I know Mm. things. I think I for for sure was like a bit naive to what the world of reality TV is, obviously. And I was kind of in a bubble. I mean, I was completely engulfed in school and in academia and people who spoke the same language as me, like using the term emotional intelligence was not something (laughs) in my circle that people were like, what the fuck are you talking about? I (laughs) am a big fan of emotional intelligence, (laughs) a huge advocate of it. And when I watched you and I saw that you were the emotional intelligence girl, I was like, fuck yeah. Um, (laughs) I love that they like brought it on the show. I mean, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Um, strange though because it was almost like it was used against me like to bully me like it was used to be like yeah like emotional intelligence taylor like yeah okay you're so emotional like i couldn't do anything they did kind of villainize you and twist it on the show but i think that what you did with it after was 
like a kind of a blessing in disguise because now you're like this huge advocate of like Mm -hmm. mental health and sexual Mm -hmm. normalizing sexual stuff which I totally want to get into because I think it's um so interesting to me one of the things Sydney and I were talking about pre-show is we were talking about like attachment styles now do you deal with a lot of clients who have attachment issues or different attachment styles and if so like what are they Mm -hmm. yeah so I would say there's a fair amount of like anxious attachments. Um, there's few folks, there are some there, but few less of them um, with avoidant um, attachment. And a lot of it is around, I mean, currently working with clients who are going through like detaching, um, you know, helping people when they are in major transitions within their relationships and figuring yeah. out how they find attachment, right? How they still feel secure in themselves going through a breakup and detaching from someone. That's a really, really vulnerable and scary and uncomfortable place to be that often, you know, people come to therapy because they're going through a a big breakup, right? And they're struggling with uh, figuring out what their place is in the world now, what their individuality is, struggling with that, um, anxious, insecure attachment, right? Definitely something that I do work, work with folks on. Um, wouldn't say it's my expertise or that it's even necessarily a a strong focus, but it definitely, definitely comes up. Yeah. And I love that, but I'm a big advocate of therapy. Even if you don't have anything huge going on in your life, even if you're not going through a breakup, I think it's always great to like talk to someone or, or be on some sort of like self-development journey because it's, it, it makes the big things seem less intense if you're like used to going to it and used to working through things. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, and I think it's just really interesting. And one thing on your Instagram that we saw, I think it said something about like casual sex. Yeah. Um, Are you a fan (laughs) of casual sex? What's your stance on casual sex? Um, Well, first I I do just want to touch on, on like going to therapy, even when things like feel okay in your life. I like to use the like to use the analogy of like filling up your car with gas, right? Like you're filling your car up with gas all the time before you then take it into a shop, right? Like to get the oil changed or whatever. I'm obviously not a mechanic, so this <laughs> might not be accurate. <laughs> um, an area I'm not the smartest in, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's totally, I second everything you said about going to therapy, even when there's not some major crisis in your life. In regards to casual sex, it's, it's interesting. I've actually been reflecting on this, uh, even just in labeling sex as casual, because that implies that there's like a hierarchy of sex. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, when I think of casual sex, I, I, I describe and identify casual sex as sex that is outside of a committed relationship. Casual sex in my perspective, in my experience, lacks consistency. For some people, that's not true. Um, for some people, there is a consistency and that the casualness is around what the emotional relationship is, right? What the attachment is in that relationship. For me, I mean, I've had few, few experiences with quote unquote casual sex, um, but that even when something 
even when sex is outside of a committed monogamous relationship, um, it can be super pleasurable and super fulfilling. And I think that's kind of what I try to advocate and, and encourage people on to know that like, it's okay to experience and enjoy sex outside of being in a committed relationship. And you bring up the point, I think the video that Jen's referring to about having sex without emotions and that it is possible. Mm -hmm. How do people go about that? What are your recommendations for having casual sex? Is it an intention that you said before? Or is it something that you can develop as you're in this relationship with whoever your partner is? Mm -hmm. How do we go about emotionless sex? (laughs) Yeah. So it depends, right? Like if you actually get turned on and can still enjoy yourself sexually and and experience pleasure without having a deep emotional attachment to someone or or connection with someone, then totally you can do that, right? Um, I don't always think that casual sex is emotionless. The people that I have had this kind of non-committed, inconsistent sex with, there's still feelings there. There's a lot of care and trust and safety and connection between the two of us. Because for me personally, I have to feel safe with you, period, to have sex. Whether it's just, I just want to get off. I just want to get in a sexual space and have no kind of, you know, uh, pressure to communicate afterwards, to have a relationship. Um, I do think that setting those expectations, setting those boundaries, communicating about all of this beforehand is a huge key for Mm -hmm. any relationship. If you're not able to communicate what you want out of that sexual relationship, you might not even feel comfortable being able to express what you want within that sexual experience. Mm -hmm. And that piece I think is super important to be able to actually communicate what you like and what you don't like and what feels good and what doesn't feel good. I mean, sex begins with your mouth, right? With communicating what you like, what you want out of this. And that can be a hard conversation to have. I think a lot of women feel like, you know, either they have to kind of play the cool girl and be like, oh yeah, it's totally cool. Like, we can't <laughs> like yeah, I just yeah. love having sex. When really it's like, mm, but I want you to have my babies. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and that might not be a safe place emotionally for you to go. And again, I think, also being open to knowing that that might change, right? Like there mm-hmm. might be someone that you can have casual sex with that you can feel like okay with there not being consistency or okay with there not being commitment. And that might change over time. And again, that's where you communicate. Yeah. I le- I think the common denominator in everything that we like talk to people about is communication, communication, yeah. communication. And I think that it's, it's so important, like you said, in communicating what you want during sex, even before, yeah. even if you're going into it being like, yeah, I don't really know what I want out of that. That's communicating. Like mm-hmm. just, you know, and I love how you're normalizing all kinds of sex, casual sex, because mm-hmm. I do yeah. think there's so many different, like, it could be a very emotional experience. It could be very, mm-hmm. like, there's tantric sex, which is, like, a whole different level mm-hmm. of sex. And I think that, you know, these things should be explored. And there's no right or wrong. It's just kind of, like, yeah. always yeah. exploring and figuring out what, what you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as there's consent, there's no children or animals <laughs> involved. Like, as long as you're not yeah. harming someone yes and get pleasure from doing um then yeah like there's so many different ways that we can have sex and that we can have our relationships look it doesn't have to look one way it doesn't have to be the default monogamous heterosexual experience it's certainly just a process of explaining and exploring and experimenting with what you like and what feels best for you and for your partner love that I think a lot of that has to do with being in your power, which is 
not always like you can go into relationship maybe and decide that it's going to be casual and that's what you want Mm -hmm. and you're in your power that in that moment but then say emotions come into it halfway through and then Mm -hmm. you start to lose your power a little bit Mm -hmm. because you're continuing to go along with what you've signed up for at the beginning but i think that communication point again is like key so that you can get Mm -hmm. back in your power and be like no this was working for me but i want something else now if that's what you want then can we Mm -hmm. do that together or if not do i need to like see my way out totally And for you, Taylor, you seem like a person that's very in your power when it comes to sex and everything like that. Have you always been like that? Or did you go on like a journey to get to the place that you're at now? It's it's a real journey. (laughs) Um, Definitely have not been in my power. Definitely have, um, you know, I've experienced forms of sexual assault and forms of unwanted sex, forms of forced sex, forms of trigger warning, rape. And I definitely have not always felt the most confident sexually. I've not always known how to communicate my needs sexually. It has been and will, I think, be a forever lifelong experience and and process of learning and unlearning for me. I think the last year more so, I've really stepped into my, my sexual power and felt like I'm not fucking around. Like (laughs) I'm uh, really being intentional about who I allow in not only my emotional space, but my sexual space and Mm -hmm. being really selfish with that, being like honoring myself and my needs before um, tending to someone else's. And I think so frequently in my past sexual experiences, like my needs were the last on the list and felt even like almost like I was a burden. Like it was shameful to be like, well, actually like, can you finger me for a bit? Because I think I'd really like that. (laughs) Um, And instead I'm like, okay, well, yeah, we're done with sex. So like, cool. Okay. We're done. Um, Where now it just feels like, yeah, I don't need to have a sexual experience unless it's going to be very fulfilling and pleasurable for me. End of story. I completely relate. Completely relate. And I think something that you said that really like sparked something in me was like asking for what you want and and just not being afraid to say what you need. Or even if you don't know, be like, let's explore. I don't know what I like. Like, let's, Mm -hmm. can we figure it out? Um, and making it like a joint thing. Um, I think a lot of women especially are, are are not used to asking for what they want in a sexual setting. So I really, I mean, do you have any advice on that? Well, I think an important, an important piece to remember here, I mean, at least from a heterosexual perspective that men want to know what you like, like, they they want to make that they want this to be as easy as possible for them yeah so like you directing and giving like it's so there's so many different ways to communicate it right for some men they're going to respond differently others are going to be like love this um but i think like a good way to kind of ease into this is giving positive reinforcement for the things that they do that Mm -hmm. you like and framing it in a way that's um making it seem as if they've already done it or just explaining how it would feel good for you. So for example, um, if your partner, when you're having penetrative sex, maybe touches your clit uh, from like around, you know, say your, you know, doggy style or something um, and say they like kind of just briefly touch your clit and to be like, oh, that feels so good. 
communicate that, like literally say that that feels really good um, or say, I love when you do that. And if that's something that they're not doing, then you can even during foreplay, like say things like, oh, it would feel so good if you played with my clit while you were inside me. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Saying things like that to kind of plant the seeds in their head, as opposed to just like for some men, again, some will love the direction and they'll be like, play with your click. Got it. Um, but others might feel like, you know, I know how to please blah, blah, blah. What I'm doing um, is it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. For those, ego. <laughs> exactly. For those, you know, it might just be saying kind of leading into it of like, oh, like I love when you do that. They might have never fucking done it, but like mm-hmm. make them think they did. <laughs> and like, yeah, I love, I love when you when you do that. That feels so good. And I think there's like so much power in communicating that. And certainly, there's some like nonverbals that we can do, right? Of like in- increasing our breathing that our partner might pick up on, right? But I think directly communicating that is so helpful and men want to please you. Like they want to know what feels good for you. So the more that you get to know your own body and what you like, the better you're going to be able to communicate that. So before even getting to that point, it might be of uh, exploration of your own body and figuring out what feels really good for you first um, Mm -hmm. before you can even communicate that. And like you said too, it might be something for the two of you to explore where you have a sex session and you say, you know, I want to be really creative tonight. Like, I don't want to go straight into penetrative sex. I want us to really, you know, from head to toe, explore and try different things. And, you know, get, I'm really curious to see what we find that might feel good. I mean, I had a partner once like lick and then like kind of make out with my armpit. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, I was like, that actually felt really good. <laughs> I love it. You never the floor know. is open. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just had this curiosity and he was like, yeah, I just like, I wondered how that would feel for you. And I was like, it's a light tickle yeah it was like it's it's an erogenous zone it's like actually very um but that's that's what I'm talking about like get creative you can't like do the same shit over and over like like for me I need to be with someone who's like open to exploring new things and open to being creative and uh, like god in my opinion you got to keep it interesting so yeah (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's also true with like finding the right partner. Like if you're, if you want to explore things and you're open and you're exploring, exploring your own body and you want to do it with someone else. And if they're not receptive to that, then that's yeah. like a sign that maybe that's not the right person for you. Right. If, yeah. Like you're supposed to want to grow together. And if they're not mm-hmm. willing to do that, then maybe like check your relationship a little bit. Or like if they don't get you off, like, or mm-hmm. if they don't seem to care about your or, like pleasure. what to get you off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or if they're just, like, selfish and, like, they get off and then they're, like, okay, we're done here. It's, like, actually, no, we're not. (laughs) What do you say to guys like that that are listening? (laughs) Um, You might want to switch it up. Um, I think that men specifically, if we're talking to them, you'll find that your sexual experiences – will increase so much in pleasure when you do focus some of your pleasure on her pleasure. That her feeling empowered, like the more that that she's receiving, the more she's gonna also wanna give back. So 
it really will do you favors and her favors. Focus on her pleasure. Again, also kind of goes to like these societal stereotypes that we have around women in the first place, right? That we have lower sex drives, that we don't enjoy, enjoy sex as much, that might be in the back of a guy's head of like, well, she's not really going to care to make this like a much longer thing or like for me to focus on her because maybe she's insecure with her body or doesn't know where she wants me to touch her or I don't want to miss or I have too much anxiety and I, I feel pressure that I have to please her, but I don't know how. So again, it just goes back to, again, communication of like, ask her what she likes, you know, of saying, you know, you seem like you really like it when we do missionary. Like, would you want to try, you know, from spooning or with you on top, right? Like, just ask these questions with your partner. And I mean, yeah, if you're with someone that doesn't value your pleasure, you don't need to open yourself up for them at all. Like mm -hmm. emotionally, sexually, that respect and that safety is so important. So Taylor, you are now studying to be a sexologist. Mm -hmm. How yeah. far along and what is a sexologist? What mm -hmm. do you hope that your practice will look like and how are you going to help your clients in that regard? Yeah. yeah. So I started off, um, just going for certification in sex therapy to be certified as a sex therapist. A lot of therapists who just have like a mental health degree or even a licensed marriage and family therapist um, will receive maybe two courses on sexuality throughout their education. So getting the training piece to do sex therapy was super important to me just in terms of like quality of care, but also credibility. And also like, it's exciting. So um, I started off going for the certification and then realized in about the same amount of time that I could get my PhD in clinical sexology. So I actually start my program um, in September. So in like a few weeks, basically, um, at Modern Sex Therapy Institute. And I'm hoping through that program that I'll also be writing a book. And then Ooh. my goal um, is once I have my doctorate that then I'll be able to kind of host workshops and have courses that I can help teach people, um, you know, how to better orgasm, how to have better communication, all the sex things. And being a sexologist is essentially just help people have better sex. You help people, and this isn't just penetrative sex. This is mm -hmm. like a broadened definition of sex. But it is, a lot of it is like psychoeducation as, mm -hmm. as, as a sexologist. Our sex education within our culture, society, country, even parts of the other parts of the world too, are pretty, pretty poor. And a huge piece that we lack in our sex education is around sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure is a part of sexual health. And I think that's like a very important piece for people to take away. So a lot of being a sexologist is education, um, exercises, right? Helping people actually explore their bodies and not physically with them, right? But um, with, <laughs> people think that too. They're like, so as a sex therapist, do you like having sex with your client? No, no. No, <laughs> no, no, not a part of it. So is your work mostly based on the mental side of it with the physical in between or is it kind of a balance of both in that regard? Yeah, so it's definitely a balance of both, right? I mean, for me, it always depends on what the client is coming in with and what they want to focus on. Um, but our, our sexuality is such a huge part of our life. And 
I mean, at the core of who we are, like we're sexual beings, sex is literally almost at every decision that we make. And it's, it's really wild to think about um, mm -hmm. how big of a, of a role sex plays within our relationships. And it's, it is also mental, right? Even making sure that like our emotional health and our um, education around our mental health, our quality help increase our sexual pleasure as well. There's some clients that we don't ever get into sex stuff because that's not where their work is. And there's other clients where that's all they want to dive into. That's the work that they're, that they're passionate about, that they're seeking. Um, and then there's some clients where, you know, it's kind of a little bit more dealing with anxiety or mental health and day to day. But then we also realize that when it comes to self-care and actually honoring your needs, that sexuality plays a part in that. And that sometimes the, sometimes like the feelings that we have, right? If we're experiencing a lot of frustration and anger and we're like talking about how we cope with that, um, sex can be a tool. Sex can be an area that we channel that energy and we channel that emotion. Similar to like, I'm really frustrated and have anxiety. I need to go for a run, right? Mm -hmm. Or I need to go talk to a friend. Like, okay, I can, you might need to go masturbate. <laughs> I can attest to masturbating when I'm angry. Like, because yeah. I, I yep. just moved home. I was living in the city for a while alone. Mm -hmm. I moved home. Sometimes my parents, like, fucking drive me crazy. Literally, yeah. I get so worked up. I go in my room, I masturbate, I feel better. <laughs> like, yeah. that's what I do. Yeah. yeah. Are you and yeah, I no, pray they don't hear me. I pray they don't hear me. I like put the music on. I'm like, whatever. They're going to hear this. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I was doing the same thing at my house. My brother's room was like in the same hallway as the bathroom. So our rooms are right next to each other. And I was like, well, hopefully oh. he's just in his headphones or he's not paying attention right Sometimes now. Sometimes I just pretend it's like the Theragun. Like, yeah, my body's so sore. I'm going to go Theragun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or your toothbrush. I just have to worry about my cat and I mean, I guess kind of my upstairs neighbor, but part of me also is like turned on by that. That I'm like, yeah, yeah. part of me slightly hopes you do hear me yeah. and I don't care. Amazing. <laughs> it feels empowering, yeah. you know? It's like, yeah. yeah, that's right. I am getting off. Yeah, so what? <laughs> Deal with it. Own, own it, own it. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to get into with Taylor is your ability to be so authentic on social media. From going back on your feed, it seems like you are always somewhat that way, but there's definitely been a dynamic shift mm -hmm in the recent yeah. posts that you've been doing, you are not wearing makeup in them. You're not really filtering them. You're talking openly about what you're going through and mental health and sex mm -hmm. and all of these things. What made you make that shift? Like, do you have advice for listeners or people that are wanting to be that authentic in social media and this like space, mm -hmm. especially in 2020? Yeah. So much going on. <laughs> yes. It's a lot. Um, it's a great question. And actually like just last night, I had a call with a guy I'm like somewhat talking to and he had brought up the makeup piece and was like, do you ever like wear makeup? And I was like, you know, I like, I do sometimes. Um, and I actually did just go back on my feed literally last night and like went far back. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and was like, yeah, there are some photos where I'm wearing makeup, but it definitely has been a bit of a transition. Parts of me were still present like that. Honestly, going on the show, I got really small and I was very... I was so fearful. I was mm -hmm. terrified of get being attacked. Um, I mean, I got a lot of hate after being on Bachelor and after being on Paradise. It was a little bit better, but I just was scared to show up 
I was scared to take up space. And previously, you know, I felt pretty confident in that, but didn't necessarily feel a need to put it all out there. Like I was in my day-to-day life, but just not so much on social media. And I mean, once I ended my relationship from the show, it kind of felt like, okay, that pressure is no longer there. And I was kind of like, ah, freedom. (laughs) Um, And it, it felt, it was almost kind of like mentally in my head. I was like, fuck all of that. Like, fuck every piece of that that made mm-hmm. me feel small and made me feel like I had to be put in this stupid fucking box that like I don't belong in and I kind of just made a decision after that of like I'm gonna post the things that I want to post and I'm gonna lose followers people are gonna see more of who I am and it's not gonna agree with the image that they have of me and that's gonna make them uncomfortable they will mm-hmm. probably try to push me back in a box but that's not my problem. My, my job, my responsibility is to honor myself and to take care of myself. And it felt like once I had kind of ended those ties that it felt like, okay, I can kind of like get back to my life because going straight from bachelor to then paradise, there was still so much in my life that was like uncertain. And that I was like, I don't know who I am, what the fuck I'm even doing with all of this. Mm-hmm. So I think with time, I just more and more like my biggest takeaway from the show and all that experience. I mean, there's a lot of them, but one of the really big ones is just that you're not going to please everyone. And that yeah. my job is to not like disservice myself to please other people. Like yeah. fuck that. So I lost a ton of followers, like with every post I would make, but it felt so much more freeing for me. And it felt like, yeah, that's, I don't want that in my space. I don't want Mm -hmm. those people that are going to put me in a box. Like I want to create a space that is pretty accurately reflective of who I am and of my day to day to where it's a safe space for other people experiencing those same things. Boundaries still exist. (laughs) Um, There are still things that I keep for myself that I don't share, but At the same time, it's really processing, like, why is this a boundary? Why would I share this? I have a whole section for my clients in my intake form around my social media disclosure statement. And in that, I talk about, like, um, my my policy around not following me. And if you do, you know, these are the risks. These are the benefits. But then I also have a whole section around, like, my ethical decision-making in what I post. And I've... If I'm going to post something, (laughs) I'm like, is this authentic? Is this helpful? Um, There's a third one that's in that paperwork that I can't remember now, but mostly is it authentic and is it helpful when it comes to like casual sex, like sexcation, like it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Right. And I'm like, like there's some things I probably need to process around that, but also am I holding that in because I'm scared of being judged Am I holding that in because I feel shameful around that? Okay, well, other people probably feel that shame too. I don't want them to feel that shame or question themselves in that way. So, okay, maybe I should share it and see how people respond to that. And more times than not, people are like, oh shit, like, thank you. That helped me. And I feel that too. (laughs) And it's so much more rewarding when you do it that way. And let me just say, it's so easy 
to do what everyone else does. It's so easy to post the pretty pictures and have the aesthetically like pleasing thing and just be like a people pleaser and like, ha, it's harder to do what you're doing. It's harder to go against the grain and do something different and, but you're aligned and you're fulfilled and it's meaningful to you and you're helping people. And I think Mm -hmm. that as long as you're aligned, there is no right or wrong. There's no better or worse. It's just like, what feels Mm -hmm. the best to you? And so I think it is. It is also like, it's, it's a whole picture, right? Like there are some days that I'm like, I just want to be like a fake Instagram model with my ass in a bathing suit and like, like booty, like some days that is how I feel. And I'm like, yeah, like I just want to be that. And then the next day I'm like, oh my God, I was crying till like 2am and let's talk about our feelings. Like (laughs) the other day I'm like, oh, I love my vibrator. Like, let's talk about vibrators. Yeah. You're like showing all the sides of you, which I think more people should do. I think it would be so much more interesting, right? a great way to represent a a woman like we are Mm -hmm. not one cookie cutter like beautiful thoughty version of what people Mm -hmm. think like you have these layers one day you wake up and you want to be a thoughty the next day you want to wake up and be emotional (laughs) own it and that's why I want to thank you for doing that because it gives the power to other people to also do that and follow in your life so thank you yeah thank you Taylor before we go we have like final questions that we always ask everyone Mm -hmm. and that's all we got okay what's a non-negotiable in life or a relationship Oh, a non-negotiable. <laughs> um, respect. Good one. Love that. Yeah. What, yeah. Easy. what keeps you up at night? My feelings. <laughs> that um, scrolling and looking at old pictures all the time. Like I'm um, like classic cancer and I'm like so nostalgic. <laughs> so nostalgic. Always. Yeah. You just uh, had a birthday too. I have Happy a birthday. lot of, I'm a leader, but I have a lot of cancer in my chart. So I feel, I yeah. feel you guys. I do. I love old photos so, so much. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, my foster kittens. Because <laughs> so right now I'm like, I have to get up and, and feed them. Um, but no, I mean, what gets me out of bed in the morning is like beautiful sunshine and mm-hmm feeling really appreciative of my space and waking up and feeling like I really appreciate my room. It feels like my sanctuary. It feels like my safe space and just being like very grateful for where I'm at. Love it. Yeah. Who is someone that inspires you the most? Oh, I don't really ever think about that. That's a good question. (laughs) Sounds Um, like it was Brene Brown at one point. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, it definitely was Brene Brown. I think it's less her these days and more like, I mean, some of them are like my friends that like, I just have so much love for and that I think that all the things that they're doing are amazing. Shan, Shan is a friend. Um, Shan Boudram, she does uh, a lot of work in the sex space. She always inspires me. Sex with Emily, she's fantastic. Um, and she inspires me a lot. There's a lot, but <laughs> those are good ones. <laughs> It's nice to be inspired okay. by your by your peers and like your circle. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What's a mantra or a motto that you live by? Mm, don't disservice yourself to please others. That's a good one. And <laughs> yeah. lastly, what is something bad that you do to help yourself feel good? Chew mm, the insides of my mouth. Oh, soothe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taylor, thank you so much for being here today. That was such a great conversation. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Before you go, can you just tell our listeners where they can find you, your social media, Mm -hmm. podcasts, all that good stuff? 
Yeah. So best place to find me is on Instagram at Taymocha. That's T-A-Y-M-O-C-H-A. And I always like to qualify this because people think I'm Taymocha because I'm brown and that's not the case. Um, I'm Taymocha because my first cat, her name was Mocha Joe. And when I was younger, I was like, we're Taymocha. Uh, it's not like became a nickname for me. So I'm like, it's because I'm a crazy cat lady. Um, <laughs> but Instagram is the best place to find me. Um, I have a lot of like resources in the link in my bio for like vibrate and good porn that I like and therapy stuff as well. Um, and also the podcast, which is called Let's Talk About It. Um, it's on like all major podcast platforms and we have an Instagram page for that as well. It's at Let's Talk About It underscore podcast. All of that's in in the Instagram Tamo. Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Thank you for having me.